0: There is more to you than you know, and there's more to your life than you probably know. There is a meaning, a purpose, and even a reality you were created to experience. There is a clarity that lets us see through the fog of our everyday lives that can guide and anchor us even in the most stressful times. It brings joy and peace, even in the most hopeless situations. And the source is, surprise, Jesus. But it's so much better, so much bigger, so much more real than just some feel-good religious mumbo-jumbo. We are invited to look behind the curtain of our routines and our stresses and our fears and our worries and into the very heart of God. Think I'm overselling it. There's only one way to find out. So let's talk about it together. Christianity is unique. It's unlike any other belief system because at its core, it's not some dogmatic set of beliefs or rituals or traditions. Christianity is based solely on the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. See, it's not based just on his, his teachings and his philosophy and his example and his legacy. It's based on who he actually is. It's why, and that's why we listen to his teachings. That's why we follow him. That's why we base our lives on him and, and his life. It's why we sing songs about him and talk about him and pray to him and worship him. And 2000 years ago, People saw something that completely changed their view of Jesus. In fact, it completely changed their lives. It completely changed how they saw reality. In fact, here's how two eyewitnesses, Peter and John, described what they saw. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. The eyewitnesses of Jesus' life witnessed something that changed their lives. So what are Peter and John talking about? And why should we care what they saw 2000 years ago? How does that make any difference for our lives? Those are great questions. And an ancient writer named Mark recorded Peter's eyewitness account of his time with Jesus. And at a turning point in this story of that Mark's writing about Jesus, Jesus reveals that he is, in fact, what the disciples were hoping he was, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed king of God. But Jesus says, I'm not what you're expecting me to be. So you're expecting me to be this political, military, religious type king. I'm not going to Conquer the Romans. It's not going to happen that way. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise again. And with that, I will bring true life. I'll bring true victory. I will conquer death by dying and rising again. And he told them, guys, if you truly want to follow me, then you're going to have to do the same. You're going to have to follow my way, meaning you're going to have to give up your way. You're going to have to be willing to give up your life, both physically and metaphorically, for me and my message, which, if you think about it, is some really heavy stuff. And It's super arrogant, unless he can back it up. And now, as we continue the story of Jesus, we'll see that three disciples are about to experience something that, for the rest of their lives, will say proves Jesus can back up his claim. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and transformed. The wording there, it's kind of like this idea being changed from the inside out where like he's still Jesus, but now he's he's also something more, something different. And his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And for the original reader, these white clothes would signal something. See, white clothes were always featured in the appearances of spiritual and, and heavenly beings. Kind of like if I wrote something and said, and then all of a sudden a a helmet with horns appeared on his head. We'd think, oh, he's becoming a Viking, which is historically inaccurate for Viking helmets, but whatever. Or if we said, and a halo and he grew wings happened, and we'd be like, oh, well, he's becoming an angel. So for these readers, these super white clothes that always had to do with heavenly beings is showing that something heavenly is happening to Jesus. And the point of all this is that no natural explanation will work for what the disciples are seeing. And see, they are experiencing something that we in our post-enlightenment, post-scientific revolution West really have forgotten, but what other cultures around the world have always remembered. The spiritual world is as real as the physical world, and the disciples discovered something else. Jesus is the true king of both. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. And my question is, how do Peter, James, and John know this is Moses and Elijah? Like, these, this Jesus transforms, and then two guys appear, and they're like, oh, that's Moses, and that's... How do they know? Like, were they wearing name tags, or did they have, like, you know how kids draw a picture, and they, like, label it and put an arrow towards it, and there's this arrow saying, Moses, Elijah. I don't know. Somehow, they knew. But why these two guys? Why Moses? Why Elijah? Well, in the Jewish scriptures and Jewish history, both of these guys have been tasked with continuing God's mission of restoring his people back to himself. And Peter, James, and John are seeing that Jesus is both continuing and completing this mission. Elijah had been one of the greatest prophets, and his role had been pointing people back to God, pointing the kings back to God, bringing Israel back to God. And Moses, of course, was Israel's greatest prophet, through whom God had given his law to Israel, the same law that Jesus said he had come to fulfill. And not only that, see, Jesus is showing he is the fulfillment of God's promise to Moses. Moses. Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, Don't let us hear the voice of the Lord or God any more, or see this blazing fire, for we will die. Then the Lord said to me, What they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among your fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command him. So what we're seeing here is that Jesus is the one that Moses and Elijah were pointing the people to. And so what are they doing there? It says Moses and Elijah show up and they're, they're talking. Well, the other eyewitness accounts say that they're talking about his upcoming days in Jerusalem and his, his coming execution. And so my guess, just my guess, is that Jesus is explaining to them their role. like The part they played in all this happening, showing them that all these things that you God told you was going to happen, it's now happening through me. And they're getting to see the reality that they had hoped for. Now, either way, the symbolism is Jesus is more than just another in a line of prophets. Moses and Elijah prepared the way. Jesus is finishing it. Jesus is the focal point and the completion of God's plan to restore humanity. But understandably, all of this is lost on Peter. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Now, for me, that right there was another proof that this is actually an eyewitness account, because no one would make up such a crazy, like, bumbling, nonsense response. But Peter's basically simply doing what he can to to rise to this occasion. He's caught up in this unique and incomprehensible situation. He's like, hey, uh... Jesus, um, you know, how about we make some shelters so this can last longer? You guys are so great and important. You need somewhere to rest. So I'm going to make three shelters for you. It's good that we can be here so that we can build these shelters for you. Now, at this point, I wouldn't blame you in thinking like, no, these guys are kind of primitive. Maybe Jesus is actually an alien and his clothes changed because he's got his suit on. And these guys are just too primitive to understand what's going on. But I'd say that except for what happens next. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. And in the Jewish scriptures, the presence of God was described as a cloud. And now God has pulled the curtain back, and the separation between the spiritual world and the physical world is removed, and the disciples' eyes are opened to the reality of God's kingdom. And even though Jesus might not be doing the things they expected the Messiah to do, he really is the true Messiah and King. And the voice of God, the Father says, this is my son, not meaning like my physical offspring, but meaning more, he is of me. He has my authority. He is the expression of who I am. See, these guys are seeing Jesus for who he truly is. 100% human, but at the same time, 100% God. In Jesus, the divine and the human are perfectly and fully brought together. And because of that, God the Father says, listen to him, do what he says. But the disciples are still just trying to process what the heck just happened. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other, what do you mean by rising from the dead? And so Jesus basically on the way down. He's like, look, guys, I know your minds are blown. Let me help you process this. You remember when I, I keep telling you I'm the Son of Man, like as it says in Daniel? As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And Jesus says, look, I told you that that was me, and now you've seen the proof. But don't tell anybody until I rise from the dead because only then will you fully understand what this means. And you know, we might be quick to judge the disciples being be like, well, what does he mean by rise from the dead? But we have to know, we know the end of the story. They didn't, their minds have just been melted. And in their thinking there was the resurrection of the dead was something that was gonna happen when God raised everyone from the dead at the end of time. So they still have some questions. Then they asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him, just as the scriptures predicted. Basically, the disciples are saying, Jesus, like, what the heck just happened? What are we caught up in? What Was that the coming of Elijah? And we say, like, what now? See, there was a teaching among the religious scribes of the time that Elijah would come back at the fulfillment of Israel's history. They kind of based it on some of the last verses of the Jewish scriptures. "'Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse.' And so these teenage disciples are like, Jesus, is all of that happening now? Like, we just saw Elijah. Is all that about to happen? And Jesus like, oh, that? Yeah, nah, <laughs> that wasn't the coming of Elijah. In fact, we're even closer than you think, guys, because Elijah has already come. And as we see in, in the other accounts of this story, he's talking about John the Baptist. He's like, John the Baptist was that metaphorical Elijah getting the road ready for me. And just as John was suffered and was executed, the same thing's gonna happen to me. And John the Baptist has now finished his job and all that's left is for the Messiah to play his role in his suffering, death and resurrection. And Jesus says, yes, the fulfillment of Israel's history is here. The promised one is here to restore humanity back to God. I'm going to bring it, but remember, it's not going to happen the way you expected. Peter, James, and John saw the curtain between heaven and earth Hold back. And they went to their graves sticking to this amazing but unbelievable story. And, the, and there's three accounts of Jesus' life that attest to this story. As we saw, Peter and John separately wrote and attested to the story, which in reality now means we have five ancient sources that say this event actually happened. So, what does that mean for us? Well, it means Jesus didn't just say he was bringing the kingdom of God, he really was bringing it. And he wasn't just a good teacher, and he didn't just think he was the Messiah. It means Jesus really is God in a body and the culmination of God's eternal plan to reunite his children to himself. Which then means if Jesus really is who he said he is, then it only makes sense to do what God's voice from the cloud told the disciples to do, to listen to him. If Jesus is who he said he is, the most logical thing to do is listen to him. So to listen to him, we need to learn his voice. Meaning we we can learn who he is through what was written about him. Read the Sermon on the Mount and and ingest that and be like, okay, this is God's true heart. Read the the gospel accounts, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them like they were written, like a book teaching us who Jesus is, that we can learn his voice, Then we can follow him. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. The father and I are one. And when we know his heart and his voice, we know what sounds like him and what doesn't sound like him. We know what actions and choices are actually following him and and following in his way of love and which aren't. We know which voices in our head are telling lies and which ones are actually telling the truth of God. And as we learn to hear his voice more and more, the question we need to ask is, what do you need to listen to Jesus about? Maybe you feel like you and, and your life don't matter much. Well, what does Jesus say about how much you are actually worth? He personally created you on purpose. He'll leave 99 others just to find you, the one. He is for you and loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. So listen to him. Maybe you're trapped in anger and resentment. He says, yes, life is hard, but I am in it with you. He says, forgive your enemies. How? How? by doing good to them and praying for them. He said he has forgiven us, so now we are free to forgive others. He said that he will someday make things right, make perfect justice happen for us. And so we don't have to punish others by holding on to our anger, which we know really only hurts us. So listen to him. Maybe you're fearful of the unknown future. He says we don't have to fear because he knows us and he is with us always. He says we don't have to stress and worry because he's in control. And we can simply practice trusting and relying on him. That whatever happens, nothing, not even death, will pull us away from him. So listen to him. And maybe you're overwhelmed by by guilt and regret. Listen, Jesus says your sins are forgiven. He says he doesn't condemn you. He will never push you away, that you are truly free. So listen to him maybe there's something going on in your life choices that you know are taking you away from the path of love choices that are hurting others choices that are hurting yourself you want to turn away from those but you're afraid it's too late you're afraid of the real you being discovered jesus says you are loved you don't have to fear punishment in my love give up your own way take up your cross and follow me and you will find life You'll find the life that you're actually looking for you don't have and you don't have to have everything perfectly figured out He will guide you in his perfect timing and way so just listen to him and maybe Maybe now is the time to listen to the invitation. He gives all of us. He says follow me to choose to trust that he is who he said he is to trust that he loves you just like he said he does and that he can do what he said he can do, he can forgive us, he can restore us, he can give us true life and relationship with God now and forever, maybe it's time to listen to him. Maybe it's time to tell him, yes, I choose to trust you as my Savior and my God. I choose to follow you as my King. And maybe, maybe you're not there yet, and that's cool. Maybe you're still curious, though, about this whole Jesus thing. Then listen to him when he says, come and see. Explore your questions explore your doubts investigate be patient with yourself because he's patient with you maybe just come back and listen and watch more of these episodes because there is a truer reality behind what we can see and observe jesus claimed to be king of both the unseen and the seen world he claimed to be the one who brings them together to be the one who brought and still brings heaven to earth now in this account shows us that this idea isn't some like floofy, philosophical, religious idea. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human, and he came to restore and save his most prized creation, us. And to enjoy him and the life he offers forever, we simply need to listen to him. I'll end by paraphrasing scholar N.T. Wright. Each of us is invited to do what the heavenly voice said, listen to Jesus, because he is God's beloved son. And as we learn to listen, even if sometimes we like peter get scared and say all the wrong things we will discover that his love and power and glory creeps up on us unawares strengthening us as it did the disciples for the road ahead when we discover who jesus really is and choose to listen to him we find clarity in our lives now Hey, thanks for watching and listening and and checking us out, especially if it's your first time. If you liked what you saw, please click like and even subscribe so you don't miss another episode. We are a church in Salem, Oregon, and you can check us out at yourcrosscreek.com. And always, we love questions and comments and getting to know people, so please email us at info at yourcrosscreek.com. Until then, stay classy, Salem.